Hey, in your Bibles, open up to Exodus chapter 3. So excited that you have come out with us tonight to spend your Monday with us. I know you got work. We're in the middle of September of 2020. Isn't that crazy? Phew! The middle of September in 2020. This year has in some ways flown by, in some ways gone very slowly because of COVID. And uh, we're so excited that you're here. I know you're at that time in the semester where exams are piling up. Raise your hand if you've had an exam yet. Or yes, some of you had exams. Yes, keep your hand up if you're willing to admit that you failed. <laughs> wow, I shouldn't have asked that. Put your hands up. That's embarrassing. <laughs> People are looking around like, geez, man. We are praying for you guys. I know the semester is getting harder and harder as you go. I know many of you have jobs, and we're excited that you're here. I do want to say a word to those who it's your first time here tonight. For those of you who come every week, aren't you glad that we have first-time guests tonight? Amen? Yes. As uh, Adam Neely said, I know you were blessed by the panel. As Adam said, you belong here. It's not just something cute or catchy we say. It's not just a lunchbox catchphrase that we like to throw around. We mean it. And from the parking lot to the door to the west lobby to in this room to even afterwards, we want to create an environment where you feel like you belong. Why? Why? Like, why? Not just for the sake of feeling like you belong. There's other places in the world that make you feel like you belong. You go into a restaurant, they don't want to make you feel like you don't belong. So why? Why here? Why that concept? The reason why is because what Romans 10.13 says. Romans 10.13 says that for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In other words, anyone who seeks Jesus and is willing to repent of their sins can know Jesus and can, watch, belong in the family of God. Amen? Which means when you come to visit a worship service, you should feel some sort of that. Now, we are imperfect people, and we ain't always going to love you perfectly. I don't love everybody perfectly, but what we try to do is make sure that everyone who's here knows they belong here. And we're so excited that you're here. If you are a guest, please take a minute. I need you to do this so that we can talk to you because we don't just want to fill seats. We don't just want you to be in the room and then leave and do whatever during the week. We want to get to know you. Text GUEST to 901 8337525. You will hear from one of our college students. You will hear from one of our staff members. We would love to get to know you. Please take some time. Do that right now. You'll hear from us. There's a chance you can win a Chick-fil-A gift card. Who likes Chick-fil-A? Amen. Yes, we love Christian chicken. And so please send a text. I want to reiterate one more time. It won't be the first time I say it tonight. Off-campus life groups are going to be an amazing thing. House church. We're going to meet in homes with masks. We're going to do this thing right. We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to talk about the word from Monday night. We're going to talk about the passage. It's not just what did Daniel say. It's what did the word say Monday night. What did the passage say? We're going to go deeper. We're going to ask questions. We would love to have you come to Life Groups. My name is Daniel Harris. I serve as the college pastor here at The View. I've been here now uh, involved in the ministry for about four and a half years. Uh, coming up on January of five years being here, I've seen God radically change this ministry. I've seen God change lives. And I know that a lot of you are guests. I know you're in the room. I want to tell you I was where you are tonight. I don't know who needs to hear that, but I have been where you are. I have been a first-time guest to The View, terrified to come in the door, terrified to talk to people. I've been there. I get it. I understand. And the Lord has given me a testimony where he has radically changed my life. I see you guys all in the back. He has radically changed my life, and he used The View to do it, and he can use The View to change your life as well. Now, we are moving forward in our names of God. If you remember before Labor Day, we did two sermons on Elohim. We talked about how Elohim is God's big creator, strong name. It represents that he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. But Elohim is not his personal name. We saw that 
God created the heavens of the earth, and even though it wasn't his personal name, we see personal attributes attached to Elohim, such as God saw, God said, God separated, God called. He's not a distant energy source. He is a personal God. And we saw, if you remember, we agreed on this. We said you should not refer to God's name without having reverence for God's name. We're going to talk about that more tonight as we get to the personal name of God. Tonight I want to talk to you about God's most famous name of the Old Testament. The name that is used the most for God. The name he reveals to Moses in a crisis situation. A situation in Moses' life that does not appear normal. This is the name God reveals to commission Moses and grant him authority. I want you to write this down. That name is Jehovah, colon, the great I am. Jehovah, the great I am. Now, Jehovah, if you're taking notes, I want you to write these down for sure. Jehovah is the most frequently used name at 6,519 times in the Old Testament. That's how many times Jehovah is used. In fact, Jehovah, Jehovah was used in Genesis, but this is the first time it is being revealed to man that this is God's personal name. Now, remember that this is God's God-given name. This is God's holy name. This is God's name that set them apart. Now, let me remind you, God, G-O-D, right, is very common in multiple religions. There's a bunch of other religions that refer to their God as God. There's false gods, such as, I wrote some of these down back in ancient Egyptian culture. There was a false god, such as the moon god. There was the god of the sun and the air. They went on and on and on and on. There were many gods that they had. Well, the Bible teaches that Yahweh is the only God, and he's God of all creation. There's not multiple gods, Amen. <laughs> He's the only God. So when you say God, you know who I mean in here. We're talking about the God of the Old Testament, Jesus Christ in the New Testament. But around the world, even in Marvel, Thor, what is Thor's title? He is the God of Thunder. Well, tonight we're going to see who actually is God. What is his personal name? Now, I want you to write this down. This comes from Tony Evans. I think it's brilliant. He says that Elohim is the side of God who created the heavens and the earth. Jehovah is the side of God who relates to his creation personally. To help you kind of understand this concept, Elohim is the side who created the heavens and the earth. Ginormous creator, overseer of everything. And then Jehovah is the side of God who relates to his creation. That's you and me personally. People can know Elohim, but not know Jehovah. Did you hear that? People can know Elohim without knowing Jehovah. You say, Daniel, how? How is simply by this. I put this on the screen. This will be up there. Believing that there is a God, Elohim slash creator, here it is right here, versus believing in and knowing the God, Jehovah Jesus, is totally different. See, there's a big difference in believing that there is a creator versus meeting him personally. <laughs> so many people, especially who are agnostic, will say, I believe there's a God out there. I don't know if he has intervened into his creation. I don't believe he has come and he has made himself known. Well, I would tell you that the Bible, which has been, uh, which has been unable to be debunked for now 2,000 years, clearly tells us that God is a personal God who has come down and hasn't only intervened into history through Jesus Christ, through the Red Sea, through King David, but he is intervening in your personal life today. Did you miss him today? Now, that's a tough question. Did you miss 
what the Lord was doing in your life today. See, people can know Elohim and miss Jehovah. In other words, just because you claim to believe in God does not mean you've met him. And I want to ask you from the very beginning, if Jehovah is God's personal name, have you met Jehovah? Have you met the Jesus Christ of the New Testament who died for the sins of the world? The question that's been asked since the beginning of time that we have to remember is, if God is personal, what must I do to know him? Think about it. Take all of your Southern Baptist church history here in the South, take all your prior knowledge out and think, if you didn't know anything about Christianity, you would be asking the question, okay, if there is a God, how do I know him? In fact, I think some of us would be hungrier to know him if we didn't know him than we do now because of our Christian upbringing. How do I know God? The Bible tells us in Acts 3.19 that you have to repent and turn back from your sins so that they will be blotted out. You cannot know a holy God until you have repented of your sins and have the holiness of Jesus that clothes you. See, I know that's not popular. I know that's not a sound bite. And today, a lot of Christians are getting their theology from TikTok. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. It's true. There is a lot of stuff on TikTok. There is a lot of Christian stuff on TikTok. You better believe, you better make sure that when you are checking and listening to that stuff, that you are checking it in the word of God and making sure these cute little sound bites are actually correct. I would even argue if you're on TikTok to find theology, you're in the wrong place. Does that mean? Yeah, praise God. Amen. Yeah. I hate social media. <laughs> we're all going to go right back to it after this. You know, but yeah, we're like, let's burn it. Let's burn it down. But TikTok theology, Instagram theology, when you hear cute things, when you hear things, you need to check them out in the Bible yourself. You cannot know God without repentance. That will not go viral. In today's world, sin is not very popular to talk about, and I understand that. But repentance, in a sense, means that in order to know, watch, here it is, in order to know Jesus as your Savior, you have to come to a place where you realize you need saving. See, no one calls a doctor until they believe they're sick. No one calls for a lawyer until they realize they have charges against them. And what I want to tell you is, let me have your eyes right here. You may have never broken the world's law before. Power to you. Maybe you never have a speeding ticket. I've got some. Okay, and it's embarrassing. I got a loudspeaker ticket, and I was driving a girl car in college. It was embarrassing. <laughs> I've messed up. We all have. Maybe you've never broken the world's law, but I got to tell you something. You've broken God's law, and I have too. And because of that, there are, watch this, charges against you. Do you realize that? Again, I told you, this ain't popular, but there's charges against you. The charge of lying, the charge of greed, the charge of pride. You have charges against you, and one day you and me will not stand in front of some pastor. We will not stand in front of the influencers on TikTok. We will not stand in front of a president. We will not stand in front of a senator, but we will stand in front of Jehovah. And when you stand in front of Jehovah and you've got these charges against you, you better have Jesus Christ to your right telling Jehovah that you are cleared of your charges. And you can't ever pay them. You can never pay for those charges against you. That's why Jesus, when he came to this earth, watch, he didn't have any charges against him. 
He was clean. He was sinless. He never messed up. He was perfect, literally perfect, lived the life you and I should have. So when he died on the cross, he was able, look at this. For some of you, this is clicking for the first time. That's amazing. He was able to take your charges. Pay for them. Pay for them completely. Done. Laid to rest. And now when you repent and say, I put my faith in that Jesus, all of a sudden, when you stand before God, God looks at you. He won't see your sin. He will see the shed blood of Jesus Christ covering you. Are you grateful for the blood of Jesus tonight? Amen. That's the gospel. It hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You repent. You believe. You receive. It's elementary, and you know what? Even in college, we need the elementary. <laughs> we need the fundamentals. When I was coaching, we had to learn how to jump stop before we could ever go run off two feet and do a layup. Why? Because if you don't understand in basketball the core fundamentals of how to play and how to have a strong foundation, you're never going to make a layup like this. For some of you, you're trying in your faith to do a layup like this when you haven't learned how to do this. Doing this is putting your feet on the Word of God every day, every day, and then waking up and getting in prayer every day, praying Jehovah, praying Jesus, calling out on his name. When you do that, your foundation is set. And when the world shakes, you don't shake. You stay still. That's the gospel. I just kicked something. I'm so sorry, media. I just kicked something around up here. So with all that said, where are we in Exodus 3? I've yet to get to a sermon where I haven't done a gospel presentation at the beginning of but where we pick up in Exodus 3, a place that we can relate to, Moses is struggling with his purpose. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times in college I struggled to find my purpose. I cannot tell you how many times I changed my major. <laughs> Five, six, seven times. Why? Because I was terrified of taking the wrong path. What terrifies some of us the most is taking the wrong path. If you want to know what your purpose is, it's found in Jesus Christ. It's found in Jehovah, and I believe tonight can help you. Now, fast forward from Genesis to Exodus. God's chosen people, Israel, are enslaved in Egypt. And God has heard their cry, and he's about to do something about it. How many of you know when you cry out to God, God does something about it? Amen? Look with me at Exodus chapter 3. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then, look at verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, hmm, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? Now remember, he's in the desert. Bushes burning would have been a common thing. So this is almost a normal thing to see, except because Moses pays a little bit of attention, he sees there's something different about this situation. In other words, you can apply that. You will pass college students every single day in your life who look the exact same, have the same face, everything, and they look like they're doing fine. But if you pay attention, you might see college students who are hurting and struggling, and you could be an encouragement to them. But oftentimes we don't investigate. Isn't that crazy? Think about that. This was not a, a weird occurrence in the desert. Bushes burn, but Moses looks a little bit deeper. For some of you, it's not weird for you to go to class. It's not weird for you to go to work. But you're not looking past the obvious. Sheesh. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, it can't get any clearer. 
The Lord sees Moses actually pays attention and investigates, and so the Lord speaks up. Wow, I mean, it's almost as if if we give a little bit of effort, God's going to speak. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Jehovah says, do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed. Here's a cool thing. All right. We can keep the verses up there, but watch this. We have seen God, Elohim, see. Now we're seeing God observe because Israel's crying out. I don't know about you. I want God to not just see the view. I want him to observe the view because we cry out for him. I have observed the misery, verse 7, of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings. I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from a land to a good and from that land to a good and spacious land. Skip down to verse 9. So because the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, go. I am sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses, look where his eyes are fixed. Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I that I should lead a discipleship group? Who am I to take the gospel to Outback Steakhouse where I work? That's where Paul works. First place I can think of, restaurant. (laughs) Who am I, God? Who am I to share Jesus with my lost family member that's 20 years older than me? Who's that for? Who am I, God? Look Look at what God says to Moses. He answered, I will certainly be with you. In other words, Moses, this really ain't about you. This is about me, and I'm going with you. (laughs) I will certainly be with you, and this will be a sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Verse 13, here it is. Boom. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them now? I want to point out, God does not say Elohim, even though Elohim would certainly work here in a sense. He's going to accomplish a big mission, and Elohim is a big God, but God does not point to Elohim. He doesn't even point out that he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. Look at it right here. God replied to Moses, say it with me, I am who I am. Let's do it one more time. Say it with me. I am who I am. Can you imagine hearing that from a burning bush? (laughs) Oh, my goodness gracious. I would have chills. I wouldn't even have chills. I'd be on the ground face down in tears. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we cry out to your name with reverence. Father, tonight we do not take the name of Jesus lightly. And we don't take the name of Jehovah, Yahweh, lightly. Father, right now in this place we know that you have willingly come down from heaven to meet with us. God, don't let us miss what you have for us. 
Father, I pray for all of us that our hearts and our minds would be open to your spirit moving in our lives. Father, the devil is rebuked from this place in the name of Jesus. I pray that you would keep us safe in this place tonight and that you would speak from heaven. If that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. Number one, Jehovah will get your attention. Number one, Jehovah will get your attention. I love that point. Moses, at one point in his life, as you're writing, I just want you to listen. You can keep writing. But Moses, at one point in his life, had promise of a great future. And yet now we find Moses very insecure. I don't know if you've ever battled insecurities in your life. I feel like there's a lot of people in here who have. I have. Now we find Moses insecure. Why? What happened in Moses' life? I want you to remember that earlier in Moses' life, he committed murder. You remember that? In Exodus chapter 2. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. I want to encourage you to dive into the Old Testament. It's not as hard to read if you think it is. If you have a reading plan and someone helping you, we can help you with both of those. But Moses killed the Egyptian. Why? The Egyptians were attacking a Hebrew, and he stepped in to defend that Hebrew. However, here's the dilemma. Here's what happened when Moses was 40, when he killed the Egyptian. The Hebrews did not identify Moses as one of them. So when Moses killed an Egyptian, they didn't see Moses' heart in it, which is arguable because we don't know his heart, but what they did see was an angry, violent man. So Moses gets rejected by both people groups because of this act. Now, there's a great lesson in here. I want you to write this down. The lesson you can learn from that in Exodus 2 is that perception is reality. And as college students, you have got to understand, as you enter the work world, as you enter the family world, perception is reality. In other words, what people see is very often what people will believe. Even if they don't see the whole story. So just because you do something with your heart in the right place does not mean other people will see it that way. And that's the hard part about it because as a Christian, your actions are always under a microscope. Yes, I'm talking to the Christians in here. I know there's a lot of you who aren't Christians. Those of you who are, your actions are always under a microscope. And the thing that you take so lightly in your life could be the thing that pushes someone away from Christianity altogether. Do you realize that? Something like gossiping. What Christians take so casual, oh, God knows my heart. I'm not gossiping about this person. I'm just talking about their life and things I don't really know about with someone who's not them while they're not around. But I'm not gossiping. <laughs> That's the definition of gossiping. <laughs> like you realize when people, when Christians see you gossip and you're not repentant about it, do you think they really want anything to do with Christianity? When I was in the ninth grade, all I saw at the youth I went to was hypocrisy and gossip and cursing. And I wanted nothing to do with Christianity. Was I wrong? Yes. Their faith is not mine. Just because someone wrecks a new car doesn't mean I don't go buy myself a new car. Just because someone does Christianity wrong doesn't mean I don't get to enjoy Christianity. I get it. However, when you gossip, when you curse, when you lie... Some of us, when we listen to music, we know we really ain't supposed to be listening to. What you think is so small can push someone away from the Christian faith for years. Years. Yes, this is for the Christians in the room. I'm calling you. God has said that you are called to live above reproach. 
to consider your words, your actions, and your thoughts before you say them because what people of this world see from you is what they will associate with Jesus Christ. They don't know your heart. You could be talking about somebody you love to death, but they don't get to see your heart. And that's why you and I have to be careful. You cannot control what other people think. I'll tell you that. Listen, look at me. You cannot control what other people think, but you can control what you say, do, and think. Control what you can control, which in reality we can't control much because it's God who's in control. But some of us need to be a little bit more mindful of our actions. And we need to look at our heart and say, why do I feel the need to talk this way or listen to this or watch this? Why? Why is that there if it could keep somebody else from knowing Jesus? I wrote this down because it convicted me. Some Christians have zero control over their own thoughts because they're way too busy worrying about what everyone else is thinking Do you realize that obsessing over other people's thoughts is like obsessing over the weather? (laughs) Number one, you can't control it. And number two, when it changes, it's probably random anyway. (laughs) Whether you do anything or not, the weather is going to change. And most times in your life, whether you do anything or not, people's thoughts are going to change. So if we understand we're out of control of the weather, why would we sit around and try to control what other people think? I don't know. Some of you are tired of living that way. Some of you are so tired and so drained of worrying all the time what so-and-so thinks of you, what he thinks, what she thinks, why she didn't snap me back, why he didn't snap me back, why the DN left me on red and all that stuff. I know you're tired of it. There's a better life you can live where your identity is placed in Jesus. One thing God takes very seriously, that Jesus took very seriously in the New Testament, is causing others to stumble. Romans Romans 14, I'm sorry, verse 13 says, Therefore let us, Paul says, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. I want to challenge you, if there's anything that would fit into that category of a stumbling block, write it down. Write it down. If there's anything in your life that could be a stumbling block to other people's faith, write it down, circle it, and make a decision when you're going to be done with it. It's not worth it. Some of you got lost family members watching you. It's not worth it. Some of you pop off and get angry at your family and then come worship. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. On the one hand, Moses could have let God handle that battle. He didn't. He murdered. Moses now knew that Jehovah would rescue Israel from slavery. He knew that Jehovah was going to rescue him. And yet, he took it into his own hands. God's work. Moses tried to do God's work his way, but God's work will only be done God's way. You and I have to give God control. We don't know what went through Moses' head. It could have been anger. It could have been impatience. But he rushed and took control just as many of us do. We rush and we try to take control. I remember when I was 15 years old, the only thing I wanted for my birthday was Grizzlies tickets. Y'all like the Grizzlies in here? Anybody Grizzlies fans? Yeah, some people are. Yes, John Morant, rookie of the year. Man, come on. I mean, the Grizzlies are on the come up. I loved the Grizzlies as a kid. My dad was not a basketball fan, but he got into the Grizzlies because I did. And I'll never forget. I'm so glad these stairs are here. I'll never forget one time I was at a game. 
And uh, we had gone down. He had tickets from Lexus where he worked. And we had gotten to the back where we could get uh, soda and stuff like that and popcorn. I don't know why I said soda, like I'm from the north. We got Coca-Cola and stuff like that. And I got a large Coke. And I was walking up. You know how at the FedEx Forum they have those blue uh, seats down low? We had good seats, and we were coming up the, the aisle. And I was coming up the aisle just like this. And I was walking up, and I looked up to see where my dad was. And I saw my dad, and I see this other 15-year-old girl behind him. <laughs> and I was like, oh, she's kind of cute. <laughs> and listen, 15-year-old me was shy and awkward. So I didn't know what my play was here, actually. I, I didn't know. I was like, maybe I'll just smile at her or something. You know, I didn't, didn't have the confidence to talk to her. So I was walking up the steps, and I'm like holding my drink here, my large drink. You know where this is going. And I go to look up and smile at her as I'm going up the steps. I go like this. I look up at her, and then I feel like the worst moment you could feel in this moment. The drink slips. <laughs> and I remember slow motion just thinking, oh, no. <laughs> Literally, it slips out my hand. The top comes off, and it's going down. It's like slow motion. I'm just watching, like, and it hits the ground, and, I mean, it goes, boom. Like, everybody looks around. They're like, what's wrong with that kid? Like, looking at me, staring at me. It goes all over my clothes everywhere, and I'm just standing there. I'll never forget, 14 years old, I look up at this girl. And she is looking at me like I am a dying dog <laughs> at the vet having to be put down. And I'm like, well, I didn't go to a Grizzlies game for another year <laughs> because of this moment. Number one, when you get distracted, your grip is going to slip on what is valuable. <laughs> Easy application. That's not where I'm going. When you get distracted, your grip that you have on your faith will slip. That's why Satan uses distractions. It slipped. It fell. I got embarrassed. When you allow Satan to distract you, your grip will slip on your faith. You think it won't, and you end up embarrassed. But more than that, I finally built up the courage to go back to a Grizzlies game. I told my dad, I said, Dad, I want Grizzlies tickets for my birthday. My birthday was coming in March. I was turning 16. I said, I want Grizzlies tickets. And so my dad had this guy, never met this guy. His name was Fish. I was like, that's cool. His name's Fish. He had this guy named Fish, and he would say, Daniel, I'm, I'm going to try to get tickets from Fish. I'm going to see if he can get us, get us some tickets. And I was like, all right, cool. And so it's like a week out, and I'm, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I just want Grizzlies tickets. I mean, Kobe Bryant's in town. I'm like, this is big. I'm turning 16 like I want Grizzlies tickets. And I'm sitting there, and it's getting closer to my birthday, and my dad doesn't have anything. And I'm getting frustrated. You know how that is? Like, when you ask for something and they're not providing it, I get frustrated. I get angry. And we get closer to, like, the weekend of the game. It was, like, on a Monday or something. And I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm fed up. And I give up. I'm like, oh, forget it. My dad ain't going to give me tickets. So I get on the Internet. I start searching. I end up on some weird website that's, like, selling them plus a, a goat and stuff like that. Like, get off on the Internet. And I'm trying to find them myself. And I'll never forget. It was one of my favorite memories as a kid. I'm sitting there in my room, day before my birthday, something like that. My dad... Knocks at the door. He comes in, and he has an envelope. And he looks at me, and I just look up at him, and he asks me the question. He says, Daniel, you want to go to the game tomorrow night? <laughs> and it's a sweet moment where I realize my dad was always in control. My dad was going to come through for me. I didn't have to take matters into my own hands. <laughs> I wrote this down in my notes. I hope that it blesses you. I wrote... Because I was trying to be in control, I showed two things. Watch this, Eva. You ready for this? Either I didn't believe my dad was in control or I didn't believe he should be. When you are always trying to take control, it shows one of two things about your faith. Either you don't believe God is in control or you don't believe he should be. I can't discern which one that is for you. 
but God will be faithful. Never mind the fact that my dad had taken me to 15 Grizzlies games. Never mind the fact that we have seen God be faithful time and time again in the Old Testament. Never mind that you probably have a testimony of his faithfulness. Never mind that Jesus Christ paid everything on the cross. Never mind all of the faithfulness that God has shown us through the Old Testament, New Testament, and then personally in our lives. Never mind all that. His name alone should show you that he will be faithful. And you can hold on to that. Give him control. Moses ends up rejected from both people groups, and for 40 years he lives in the wilderness where God humbles him. In fact, Numbers 12, 3, write this verse down. It tells us that Moses was a very humble man. In fact, more so than anyone on the face of the earth. So God didn't take the 40-year-old Moses who killed the Egyptian who was strong and skilled and equipped and self-confident and arrogant, probably. He didn't take the 40-year-old Moses. Look at that. He took the 80-year-old Moses, 40 years, Calista, after being a shepherd, he took that Moses to use. It's almost as if, Zach, that it's not about your abilities, it's more about your humility. It's almost like we're so concerned with what we can or can't do that we don't realize who we are in the presence of God and what he can and can't do, which there's nothing he can't do. I know some of you need to hear this tonight. In fact, all of us do. God will be Faithful. For 40 years, God got Moses' attention. It's almost like the degree to which God has your attention will be reflected in the degree of your humility. The degree to which God has your attention will be reflected to the degree of your humility. God humbles him. 40 years, so when a burning bush shows up, it gets Moses' attention. Moses investigates. Verse 3, he literally goes and says, I must look at this incredible, remarkable sight. And I want you to understand that God will often reveal himself to you in situations that really don't make sense. In your crisis, in your battle, in things that are going on in your life that you say, I don't understand why this would happen, Aliana. I don't understand why this would happen, why this situation would be given to me. This doesn't make sense, yet it's God who is in the middle of that situation. Have you taken time to investigate? Does he have your attention? Because many of us wouldn't notice the burning bush today. You know why? Because our heads are down. Many of us wouldn't notice a burning bush around us because our heads are looking around at what everyone else is doing. Amen. Would you notice today if God was doing something supernatural in your life, would you notice? Did you find God today and where he was moving in your life? Because I promise you he was. He is moving. And when God doesn't get our attention, he will often get our attention through affliction. Now, I know it ain't. Popular. But what we see in Exodus a few chapters later is called the ten plagues. I know you're like, I came out to hear this. Goodness gracious. The ten plagues where God literally brought ten plagues onto this earth to get people's attention. What we see in the New Testament with Paul, remember, is that he had a thorn. Many believe it was poor eyesight. Paul had a thorn that was something that continued to remind him of his weakness so that his eyes would not be too consumed with what he could do or who he was, but that they would be fixed on who God is and who God, what God could do for you in your life. Have you realized that yet? I need to move on. 
Number two, Jehovah will grant you authority. Moving very quick here through number two, Jehovah will grant you authority. When Jehovah gets your attention, you better believe it's for a reason. When Jehovah calls out to you, when he reaches to you, when he speaks to you from the burning bush, from a car wreck, from a tragedy, from an accident, in the middle of a family death, you better believe he has a reason for it. He is granting you authority. Now look, when God tells Moses about rescuing Israel, Moses balks at the idea. He laughs at the idea. He says, there's no way. He says, who am I to do this? Moses is intimidated by this request. How many of you have ever been intimidated by the request God has given you? By the commands he has given you. He will call you to do things that you are uncomfortable doing. He might call you to lead, to speak up, and to use your voice. Would you do that? In fact, for the past four decades, Moses has been doing the exact opposite of what God's telling him to do now. Moses has been running from Pharaoh. He has been running from Egypt. And now God is saying, hey, turn around. You are running to Egypt. You are running to Pharaoh. What if God's call for your life is to turn around from that fear you're running from? Can you imagine what you're most scared of? What if that's what God is calling you to? Not for fear's sake, but so that you can see God is bigger than what you're most scared of. For some of us, what we fear the most is singleness. For some of us, we believe singleness is persecution. Singleness is not persecution. Can I get a witness in the house of the Lord? Some of us believe the biggest mountain we have to overcome is singleness, and that's really sad. It really is. It's sad that in America, the biggest challenge that we believe we face as Christians is oftentimes singleness. What if God is speaking to you in the middle of your singleness, but you haven't realized it because you are so fixated on other people of the opposite sex? What if the burning bush has literally been in front of you for weeks and you still haven't noticed it because you're worried about he or she? God might be saying, turn around. Stop running towards what you want and what's comfortable and start running towards what scares you because I will show you my faithfulness when you're scared. Do not fear, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know what? Sometimes we don't believe God will do that because we never allow ourselves to be in situations where we are uncomfortable. We never allow ourselves to even in the slightest be around something that scares us. So how could we know that God would uphold us if we're never allowing ourselves to be afraid? You will see God's faithfulness. I had conversations all weekend with college students who have been sharing their faith at work. And every time they call me, they text me, they say, Daniel, I am seeing people ask me about the gospel. I am seeing people actually get it for the first time. And yeah, it's scary. It's uncomfortable for me. But this is what God's called me to do. This is what he's commanded me to do. If you would just take that step you would realize that God will uphold you with his righteous right hand. Moses scoffs at the idea, and then God gives him his name. Look with me at the text. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israels. The great I am has sent me to you. Now, I want you to write this down. This is translated, I am who I am, also I will be who I will be. In the Hebrew, this name is Yahweh. 
Y-A-H-W-E-H. In the Hebrew, this is translated Yahweh. As we know it in English, Jehovah. The original rendering was just four letters. They didn't have vowels. It's right here, Y-H-W-H, which is also translated into I am the existing one. I am who I am. I am the existing one. Now, did you know that back then, this is the reverence they had for God's name. We actually have no idea how this name is pronounced. We have no idea, Cody, how to pronounce this name because back in Jewish culture, they would never say God's name. They would never say it. They would, when the scribes were copying it, they would read over it silently. They would never say God's name. They would never say Jehovah, Yahweh. Why? Because they were so terrified, Hallie, of taking the Lord's name in vain. <laughs> they were so scared that today they still don't say his name. How casually do we throw around the name Jesus? How casually do we throw around the name Jesus? We throw around God's name. We pray prayers we don't really believe in using God's name. We say in Jesus' name. We tell people, oh, God is calling me to do this, when we really have no idea if he's calling us or not. We say Jesus has told me to do this. God's word has told me to do this when we haven't spent any time in God's name. Never mind when we stub our toe or when we have a bad day and we start calling out his name in vain. Do you realize how sinful that is? We don't understand how to pray God's name because all we do is take God's name in vain. They would never read it. They would never say it. Because for them, it wasn't just a name. It wasn't just a Christian life. It wasn't just something they did. I'm coming down here. It wasn't just something they did on Sundays or Mondays and then left it. It was literally their life. We don't need any more Christianity that's Sunday and Monday. We don't need any more Christianity that goes through the motions. They had such reverence for God's name, they wouldn't even come close to pronunciating it, and we do whatever we want to with his name. That has got to change. When you think about Jesus, do you realize that he literally suffered your suffering when he was not due it? Do you realize that when he was being beaten, when he was being tortured, it wasn't for his sin, he didn't have any, it was for your sin? That lust, that pride, that greed, all that junk that eats you up, he was tortured for that sin. He was publicly embarrassed and mocked and spit on because of that sin. He paid your penalty. And we treat this thing like it's just what we do to get by. Instead of being willing to pick up our cross, carry it, and follow after Jesus Christ. Maybe if we shared the gospel with ourselves on a daily basis, we wouldn't take this thing so casual. But some of us haven't shared the gospel with ourselves in a long time. Two takeaways that I want to give you from this. A is your faithfulness today, your faithfulness where God has you will determine your faithfulness where God sends you. 
Moses had to learn to shepherd sheep before he could ever shepherd the nation of Israel. He had to be faithful today. That's how he was faithful tomorrow. If you are faithful today, when God gives you something tomorrow, he will be faithful. You will understand how to do it. Luke 16.10 is very straightforward about this. It says, whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. For me, when I got a call to ministry, it didn't happen overnight. I didn't start preaching the next day. I didn't start leading college students the next day. It was not, look at me, it was not this overnight thing. For me, besides leading myself, the first group of people that I ever led was a seventh grade group of basketball players. And these jokers were terrible at basketball. <laughs> these folks were uncoordinated. They could not walk and chew bubble gum. Paul was on the team. Paul Jones up here on the front played for me. They, just kidding, he wasn't actually on that team. These jokers could not play, but they were so sweet. And they listened and they cared. And I realized that I've got to be able to lead these seventh graders. And so I started investing everything I had into these seventh graders. And then over time, God continued to call me to more and more. And I take on more responsibility for you. You've got to begin leading right where your feet are. You've got to begin leading yourself and then who God has put directly in front of you. The second takeaway I want you to remember, and I hope that you always remember this. You are not a college student who happens to be a missionary. You are a missionary who happens to be a college student. Don't switch the order. That's the biggest regret I've seen of college students. Don't switch the order. Do not be a college student who just happens to be a missionary. No, you have been called to your college. You have been called here to The View. You have been called here to Memphis. You are called to be a missionary right now. Do not miss what God has for you in college. There are people around you right now dying and going to hell because they don't know Jesus. What are we doing about it? There are people in our life struggling with sin, battling sin. What are we doing to encourage them and help them? You are a missionary. A lot of college students come to me and they say, Daniel, after college, I want to be a missionary. And I say, that's great. I say, that's amazing because the missions program that we have at Bellevue is incredible. Just here in this room, I want you to think about this. Just here in this room of college students, of 300 plus, we have future church planners in this room. We have church planners in New York City, in Los Angeles. Seattle, Utah, people who are going to go to church, plant churches. We have people in this room who will be sent to Asia, people who will be sent to Africa, people who will be sent to South America. See, I understand this is way bigger than the view. We have people in here who are going to be engineers that make disciples in China. We have people in here who are going to be nurses that share Jesus right here in Memphis. We have future pastors in this room. We have future full-time church staff members in this room. We have people from all over in this room. But let me tell you something. God has that calling for you. He might not have given it to you yet. Are you okay with trusting him to hold it? Are you okay giving God your future? Because if God were to tell you, hey, you won't get married or you won't live in this place or you won't start your career for another five to seven years, would you be okay with that? If not... Your future does not belong to God. It belongs to you. 
How you reach that calling tomorrow is by being faithful with your calling today. You are a missionary. And God has given you authority through his name, Jehovah, to do incredible things. Look at me. Incredible things. To lead lost people to Jesus. To make disciples. To impact your family for generations to come. And when you are faithful today, when God comes knocking and he wants to send you just as he is sending Moses to Egypt, when he calls and it's time to go, you will be ready.